Good morning, everybody. Good. How are you guys doing? Man, okay, whatever. We're just, we're just going to move on past that, right? We don't, we don't have time to address how y'all can be feeling worship and not feeling the beginning of the sermon. I'm not going to take it personal or anything, but it is what it is, right? Don't need these. Okay. For those of you who have been with us, you know that we've been moving through a series that this week would be, in fact, the, let me think, fourth week um, of the series called At. For those of you who haven't be with, been with us, Allow for me to catch you up. So what we've been doing in this series is we've been talking about a concept, a theology, if you will. This is the theology of place. It's the idea, and it's the biblical understanding, that we have been intentionally placed by God in the spaces in which we exist. And we have a responsibility to see those places and those spaces changed for Jesus. I know a lot of us talk about our place of employment. I don't really like going to work every day. I don't really like the people that I live with. I don't really like my job. Or maybe you do. Maybe you love it. Right? It's the idea that God placed you there on purpose. And you have a responsibility to see that place change. We also talk about place of residence, where you live. I hear it all the time, especially in our city. I don't love where I live. I don't love my neighborhood. And that's a shame. Because God does. And God placed you there on purpose. And so God has asked you to to take seriously this responsibility of where you live. Who's in your house? Who's around your house? Who do you invite in? Take seriously that responsibility. And know that you have a responsibility to see those lives around you changed. For Jesus. This week, we're talking about our place of community. Now, I know off the bat, that might sound like the same thing as what we talked about last week, but it's not. I know there's all kinds of meanings for community, but for the sake of our purposes this morning, what we will be defining community as is the people you are surrounded by. It's not a physical place. It's a place of where you're at with the people around you. Everybody with me? It's the people around you. Everybody say community. It's the people. people. All right. Listen. Come come on. We got this. Everybody say community. Community. It's the people. people. Around us. us. Amen. Amen. So last week, uh, for the past few weeks, what we've been pairing with the series is stories from people within our own uh, body, within our own uh, uh, group of believers that we have here. And this week... We get to hear from another incredible couple. And so if you would, would you please turn your attention to the screens and let's hear their story together. Despite how I felt about our family and our relationship and who I was now, just reminded me that like his love and his grace had never changed. So I think communities play a large part in my life. Uh, growing up, I didn't have much of a community. Um, I think a big part of my struggle was not having people that believed in me or were willing to just fight for me, do whatever it took. So coming back to Ohio, I struggled with pain meds for three years. I was addicted, uh, just completely deceived, hurting every single person that was around me, hurting my wife, her family, just lying, stealing, doing whatever I had to do to feed that addiction. But when I came back to Canton, I had a, just a community of believers, uh, Corey, James, Garrett, and 
if you saw those guys, uh, there was a moment where they did like an impromptu intervention and I wasn't having it. So they actually came to my house and they sat on my porch for hours. Uh, me and Avery were inside and I refused to answer the door. And then Corey texted me and said that they had Little Caesar's Pizza. <laughs> and so I decided that, you know what, let's, let's open this door and, and hear them out. And so they came inside and I think that's what, for me, the willingness to just stay there spoke louder to me than anything. And when they came inside, they just, they loved on me. And it was a very, very, very humbling experience. But like I always say, they loved me to my mess and they loved me through my mess. I want to say yes, but I don't think that I would have been able to do it without them. I think, because at that moment, I couldn't see, I couldn't believe in myself. I was so far gone that I couldn't see it, but they saw something in me. And I can remember talking to Corey at church, and he told me that. He said that Avery's not going to be the first little girl in this church that grows up without a father. For some reason, I believed him. It was hard for me, but I believed him. So. Well, um, when Marcus left, I really secluded myself. I thought it would be easier to just deal with um, everything that was going on by myself and behind closed doors. I was sort of knocked down. Like, I was knocked down a level. I felt like everybody was perceiving us differently and judging us for decisions that were being made and that I just wasn't good enough anymore. That, like, I couldn't, I was I didn't know if I was going to amount to anything anymore, if our family was going to be good enough ever again. So, eventually, um, you know, Jordan and Rachel and everybody just kind of kept pushing me and saying to come to Word Women, and I finally gave in, and I started going regularly, and I just got to the point where, like, my walls were just shook and broken down, and they, everything just kind of came together for me. They just reminded me and were that support that, like, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world is thinking, like, none of that has ever changed the way that God has perceived our family or myself. Um, they were just like the most supportive, loving group of women I've ever met in my life. And it was so crucial to that part of, of my journey to understand that there are people out there that love you and support you and just remind you of, of what Jesus is. Like, they were really the hands and feet of Jesus, like, in my face, saying, like, we love you and we don't care what has happened and we don't judge you for anything that has happened in your life. Like, you're worthy because God created you. Like, nothing that you did or nothing that your family did has ever made you any less than. So that was really powerful. So it's been really good for us to have other married couples around us, people who support us and most importantly don't judge us through this. It was really hard for me to um, take a step back and realize that people aren't looking at us as like the family that dealt with drug addiction. And to know that people just love us and have faith in us. To know that we have people in our lives who don't um, base our friendship off of like what we've done or what we can do for them has been incredibly 
empowering for us and it allowed us to grow um, with each other, with ourselves, and just in the community. It was really cool because part of Team Challenge, just where I was at the rehab, they talk about people, places, and things. Don't go back to the same people, don't go back to the same places, don't do the same things. Well, fortunate for me, the people I was around, the places I was going, you know, the things, well, maybe the things were a little shaky, but just the people and the community around me was so good that coming home was such an easy transition. It's powerful to have people around you who you can be real with at all times, to know that we all have our struggles and nobody has it all together. And that's so empowering to have a group of people around you who are just doing life. Um, and we're just doing it for Christ and we're doing it together and it's awesome. Absolutely. So I would ask real quick, Marcus and Chelsea, will you guys stand up real quick? I just want to talk to you. I, it's okay, Chelsea. I know you're going to hate me for this. It's okay. I just want to talk about for a brief second, like, um, how, how ridiculously proud I am of you guys. Um, and I don't know, for those of you who don't know, like, to go from that situation to now, uh, Chelsea is the co-leader of Word Women, that group of women that um, so wonderfully comes around each other. And as of a few weeks ago, Marcus is the new uh, student ministry pastor here at Third Street Community Church. And so I'm, pr I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of you for being brave enough to handle the things um, that, that have come your way, and I'm proud of you for sticking uh, with Christ, and most importantly, or most importantly, sticking with Christ, but secondly, sticking with each other throughout that whole thing. It's beautiful. You're a testimony to us all. I love you guys. So as we can clearly see from their story, right, the people around us have so much influence. They can have so much impact on our lives. Are the people around you the ones that God wants around you? Are the people around you those that God has placed around you? Or are you around those who will lead you astray? Oftentimes we get confused. We get confused. We, we, we treat our friend group like a missionary journey, right? Like, well, okay, they're a long way off, but, you know, but, 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 but we, they can change, and, and, and I can be that agent. And we surround ourselves in community that doesn't build us up. But they're my friends. Listen, I'm right there with you. Some of my closest friends do not have a relationship with Jesus. I'm with you. But that does not change the fact that we need to find ourselves, that God has people for us to be surrounded in, that will build us up, that will walk with us. And that's the community that I want to talk about this morning. I believe that God outlines the type of community he's talking about. And I believe he outlines it in Exodus chapter 18. So if you would, if you have your physical Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Exodus, the book of Exodus. It's in the Old Testament, so we've got Genesis, then Exodus. So if you take your Bible, you open the front cover, the first book is Genesis. If you just go past that 50-some chapters, the second book, book is Exodus. We're going to go to big number 18, that's chapter 18, and we're going to start right at the top. We're going to start in verse 1. We begin our time together by reading the first 12 verses. So let's go ahead and get after it. It says, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. 
the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Moses' first son was named Gershom, for Moses had said, when the boy was born, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. His second son was named Eliezer, for Moses had said, the God of my ancestors was my helper. He rescued me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, again, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. He brought Moses' wife and two sons with him, and they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent a message to Moses saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and he kissed him. They asked about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told him about all the hardships that they had been experiencing along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he had heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. Point number one. True community. True God-given community. True God-intended community. True community surrounds you in the wilderness. Here's a little backstory, right? For those that may not be hip to what we're talking about, Moses, he was born a Hebrew Israelite. In order to escape the serious oppression at the hand of the Egyptians, his biological mother places him in a basket, sends him upriver to be found by a group of Egyptians who adopt him as one of their own, even though he is ethnically one of the very people that they enslave and oppress. Naturally, as you can, as one could imagine, growing up like that can cause some, let's put it mildly and say, complications. Right? It's okay, it was a joke, you're allowed to laugh. Moses realizes his own ethnic heritage, begins to get in deep touch with that. And I wish I had all the time to talk about that this morning. But he begins to get in touch with it, and he has this little incident with an Egyptian guard where he sees an Egyptian abusing an enslaved Hebrew Israelite, and Moses has just had it. He loses it. A lifetime of just holding this in and wondering about his own self sees Moses carry it out on an, out of anger on an Egyptian guard, worried that everyone would see what he had just done, and everybody knew, and they'd cast him out. He flees the country. He finds himself in Midian. In Midian, he's homeless. He's a refugee for all intents and purposes. He has nowhere to go. But there is a man who takes him in. And that man is Jethro. Jethro shows him the utmost hospitality. Lost, a stranger in his own land. Go back and see the message from last week. A stranger in his land. 
Jethro takes Moses in. Throughout that incredible gesture of hospitality, Moses comes to know Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. And Jethro's like, yep, be blessed. That's your wife. And so they began their family. Then a long journey of Moses being called to go back to Egypt because God wanted to free his people. Amen. And so Moses does all these wild things. It's a dope movie if you haven't seen it and otherwise just read the text. But Moses is used by God to free the Israelites. So when we pick up here, the Lord has freed the slaves. But they had not yet made it to the promised land. The Lord said, I have prepared a place for you. But they hadn't made it yet. When word got back to Jethro that the Israelites had gotten out, he gets his stuff together and he goes out to them. He goes out to them where? Come on, somebody. In the wilderness. They hadn't made it yet. They were not secure yet. They were not safe yet. They were not at the place where they could look back and be like, "Woo, how about that yet? They were still in the wilderness, and while they were still lost, while they were still in the wilderness, Jethro goes to them. How many of you know that even in the wilderness, God surrounds us? Even when we have come so far and God has already done so many great things, we still find ourselves a long way off sometimes. How many of you know that in that instance, God surrounds us? Jethro is true, God-given community, because while the Israelites were still a long way off, he went out to them. When he gets there, what do we see him do? We see him celebrate the victories. Let's talk about the hard times, and then we're going to worship together. It's easy to have friends when times are good, right? That's the tale we all tell at some point. It's easy to have friends when times are good. You always find people around you when things are going well. When you're in your prime and everything's all right and you're not checking your bank account every other day to see if it's okay, you're swiping a card when you're successful, when you're being celebrated, when the public is acknowledging you. Ain't it funny how there's a crowd of friends around you? But isn't it funny how when things get a little dicey, And the path looks a little unsure, and it's a little shaky. Isn't it funny how quickly we find ourselves alone? Isn't it funny how quickly we can spin the tale of isolation? I'm reminded of a story about a son who took his inheritance early, and he left his family to go out and to go buck wild. And then he blows the inheritance. He finds himself eating with pigs and realizes, I ain't got nobody. I've got nothing nobody's with me. Times are hard. Now, I had all these friends a minute ago when I had money. Now, I got no friends. I don't know what to do. And the text tells us in Luke 15, while he was still a long way off, his father goes out to him. While he was still a long way off, his father jumps off of his mansion balcony and goes out to him, embraces him, kisses him, and throws the biggest party any of us have ever seen. To celebrate his son coming home. Romans 5 tells us, while we were still sinners, while we were still a long way off. How many of you know that you're a long way off this morning? While we were still a long way off, Christ 
came for us. He came to us. And he died for us. God will never leave us alone in our journey. Never. As God himself exists in community. I'm talking about the Trinity. I'm talking about the Father, the Son who was with us, and the Holy Spirit who empowers us now. As God himself exists in community. So he loves to surround us in physical community. True community surrounds us. Even in the wilderness. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Verse 13 starts like this. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. Jeez. They waited before him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replies, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me. I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. My man Jethro comes back at him. He's like, yo, this isn't good. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too, for that matter. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. So point number two, true community provides godly insight. So as Jethro's hanging out, he gets a peek into the daily life of Moses. At this point, as you can imagine, wandering through the wilderness for God knows how long at this point, people have got some gripes. They've got some complaints. Many of us in here have already thought eight complaints this morning already. It's natural. It happens. But here, Moses is sitting in the hot seat in the middle of the community and is listening to every single one. Imagine yourself just for a moment from sunup till sundown listening to every complaint your friends have. Listening to every single one. And so Jethro sees this and he decides to butt in. He's like, bro, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. You're not actually accomplishing anything. If you sit here and listen to these complaints from sunup to sundown, where did you go that day? Did you even eat today, man? Did you even talk to the Lord today? Did you get anything accomplished? This is way too much. You cannot handle this on your own. Jethro has the boldness to be like, this ain't good. You can't keep doing this because Jethro because of all the things we have already said, has the authority to speak into the situation. He cares for Moses. We saw Jethro in chapter 2 take Moses in when he had no place to go. We see him here in chapter 18 come to Moses when he's an isolated leader just trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Jethro cares for Moses. Moses knows that Jethro cares for Moses. And so Moses has the authority to say something to Moses. He'd given him that authority. 
When you care for somebody and you know they care for you, they have that authority in your life to speak up and say something. Who has that authority to speak into your life? Who has the authority to say something to you, to interrupt your day, to bring up something that might be a little touchy? Who has that authority in your life to talk to you about it and to keep it blunt, to not sugarcoat it, but to be like, this isn't good. That's not that nice. I don't know if you've ever had somebody call you into their office and be like, hey, what you're doing is not good, but it doesn't feel great. Who has that authority in your life? There's a leadership principle I learned a while back that would ask it this way. Would ask, what's the broccoli in my teeth and who's going to tell you about it, right? We always say that like a real friend tells you when you got something in your teeth. That broccoli, that big old green nasty thing hanging right in between this tooth and that tooth. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You're going to sit there at dinner in front of everybody. You're going to have this broccoli hanging in your tooth. Now a real friend would do what? tell you. A real friend's going to be like, bro, hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, bro, you know what I'm saying? And y'all got that connection like, oh, I got, oh, hey, hey, good luck, fam. Hey, nice. Yeah. Right? But then fake friends, they're going to sit there and let you look dumb. They're going to let you look foolish. And then they're going to nudge their friends later like, hey, bro, <laughs> hey, did you see that mess in his teeth, man? Oh, my goodness, right? Who's that friend that's going to tell you when you got the broccoli in your teeth? Who's that friend that's going to tell you when you've got something, some type of filth in your own life that may or may not be evident to those around you, but it seriously needs addressed? Who's that friend that's going to speak up and be like, ah, you got to get that? Do you have that? Do you have that? We all probably have some unhealthy habits. They affect us. They affect our family, then our team, then our greater community. The best way to cut it off at the pass is to have godly people in your life who can call that out. True community provides godly insight. Let's finish this passage. Verse 19. Verse 19 says this. Now listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Keep doing what you're doing. Teach them God's decrees. Give them instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. Praise God. But select from all the people some capable, some honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and ten. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, catch this part right here. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,150 and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they solved the minor ones themselves. And soon after this, 
Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law. Thank you, father-in-law. Point number three, final point. True community makes you a better follower of Christ and a better leader of people. Do you hear how positive Jethro is? Even his directness, he's positive. He says, you're doing the right thing. I'm not saying that what you're doing is bad. What I'm saying is the workload is bad. Here's some perspective. Let me help you. You can do it this way. You're good at this. Let them do this. Here's how you can get better. If you do this, then you will endure and the people will be at peace. If you do this, you will have endurance. Endurance builds strength of character. Strength of character makes us more confident in the hope of salvation, a hope that will never let us down. If you endure this, if you do this, the people you lead will be led to peace in the Lord. True community is able to direct you to godly acts, to godly structures in this case. True community can direct you to that, makes you a better follower and a better leader. Let's keep it real for a second. If we're going to look around this room, just as one example, it's no secret that this community has grown. There are far more connections to be made. There's far more things going on. And one thing I personally did not account for is the implications such growth would have on leadership. Right? You don't know what growing pains feel like till you feel them, till your knees start to hurt and you get these little marks by them. You don't know till you don't till you know, you know what I'm saying? I didn't account for what this would do to my leadership or to anyone else's leadership. The past few months have been a struggle. I'm just keeping it real. It's been a struggle for me. I've dealt with things in the past few months that I've never dealt with in my entire life. I've dealt with things in the past few months that have come up that I have long, 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 long suppressed, that I didn't even know was a thing as a result of Stress, anxiety, weight, whatever you want to call it, of growth. And that's a good thing. Praise God. I'm not telling y'all to leave. Unless God is, then, I mean, hey, who's going to argue? But the past few months have been a struggle. But God's saving grace for me. God's saving grace for me these past few months have been those of you who surround me personally. I'm so grateful for my wife who, man, you think it's bad what Moses had to do? Rachel's got to listen to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, grace for her. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my brother James, who's going through similar things with their church up in Akron. I'm thankful for that phone call that I can make and be like, bro. And he's like, hey, I know, dude. I know. I'm thankful for him. And I'm thankful for those of you who have come around us in this time. And I can honestly say that I've been more challenged and more stretched than ever before. But I feel closer to God because of it. 
I feel more confident in my relationship with him because of it. I feel more confident in what we're doing than literally ever before. Gone are the days where we're looking back like, hey, are we, are we ruining people's lives here? Right? Like, are we like messing up here? Those days are gone. I know God's got us where, we, where he wants us. And we're moving forward. Amen? When we submit ourselves to real godly community, we become better followers of Christ. We're open to correction. We're open to guidance. We're open to that little nudge that pushes us, not in the wrong direction, but towards God. Amen. When we submit ourselves to real godly community, we become better leaders of people. Amen. Do you find yourself in community? Where is it at? Where you at? Is this what your community looks like, what we just described, coming out of Exodus 18? If it's not, it may be time to reevaluate your surroundings. Ask God, who are the people you have put into my life that will come to me in the wilderness? Who are the people that will spot the good and bad? They'll call out the good and help me correct the bad. Who are the people? Who are the people that will build me up to be better? My second question is, are you that type of community for somebody else? Are you an infant just sitting on your butt, whining and waiting for somebody to come around you and pick you up? Or have you matured in your faith to the point that you are now coming around other people as well? It begins with your own personal relationship with Jesus. Only when you know God can you give God to someone else. But when you do know God, it becomes an expectation, but don't let that word fool you because it also becomes a natural rhythm of life to give God, to lead people to God, to surround people with God. Here at Third Street, we want to be that church. We want to be that church that surrounds people right where they're at. I see you. God sees you. We want to be a church that surrounds people right where they're at. We want to be a church that speaks truth in love, in the most loving way. And we want to be a church that leads our people, most importantly, to look more like Jesus in their daily lives and in leadership. I see a lot of this already happening in our parks, the spaces, the communities that happen not on Sundays, right? Our parks where people who want to get together to play basketball or to eat and talk about stuff or to just go get a home-cooked meal. Hallelujah. I know this side of the room felt me. In those spaces, I already see this stuff happening. I already see it happening in a lot of your living rooms. That's the best part of my job is I get to hear dope stories of what's going on in your living room, the people who gather to hang out. But if this is not you, my encouragement is to connect with somebody. My encouragement is to reach out to the people around, Marcus, Nate and Courtney, Dish, myself, Rachel. Connect with somebody around here. Go back to the info desk. You go there for everything else. 
Right, Julie? Right. Praise God for Julie. Find a place to connect. Find your place of community. This is God's strategy for how he will surround us, for how he'll build us up, for how he'll make us better leaders. It's one of the most important ones. It's time for us to get to it. Let's pray.